Please be seated and good morning again. As I mentioned earlier, today is Respect Life Sunday. This is the Sunday, the first Sunday of October of every year that the church designates as a day when we give special emphasis to preaching and, um, and supporting the cause of the gospel of life. Like many of you, I personally have been dedicated to this cause of life for most of my adult life. And as I've been reflecting on that and how it all began for me personally, I came to an interesting realization. My own involvement in the cause of life began in a sort of seminal kind of way many years ago, in fact, more than 50 years ago, when my wife Jan and I, before we were married, would spend a Sunday afternoon together from time to time at what was then St. Vincent's Orphanage on Delaney Valley Road. Doing what, you might ask? Holding newborns, holding babies, silently communicating to them that regardless of the circumstances of their conceptions and births, they were loved and wanted. That led over the years after Jan and I were married to many other more focused pro-life activities and outreaches from our serving as a foster home for those pre-adoptive infants to founding and operating Sparrow House, a Christian maternity home for unmarried pregnant teenage girls, as well as being a support for other life-affirming ministries and apostolates, along with the annual treks to D.C. for the March for Life, which of course we still do, and preaching and teaching the gospel of life at every opportunity, and so on. Now, I'm not telling you this this morning in order to affirm my own pro-life credentials. That's not the point of this. Rather, I'm telling you this to provide a context for telling you something else on this Respect Life Sunday, and it is this. I have come to sense of late that the cultural environment in which you and I are carrying out our pro-life commitment has, within the span of a relatively few years, changed, maybe subtly, but quite discernibly. What is it that has changed? Now, I shared this thought with you a year ago, but it bears repeating and updating because I believe it is even more accurate to state this today than it was a year ago. We now live in a culture that has lost its way. And it has lost its way because it has lost its fundamental sense of what is true, of what is real. Again, as I said a year ago, as Christians, as faithful Catholics, you and I have been drawn unwillingly into what I would characterize as a toxic cultural game of let's pretend. Let's pretend. I'm speaking specifically in the context of the pro-life cause, of course, on this Respect Life Sunday, but we see this phenom phenomenon manifested in countless ways within our society. 
where the culture challenges you and me to deny truths and realities that we know intuitively, experientially, and factually to be true, and to affirm ideas that we know to be false. Case in point, just a few examples. Government officials and media outlets, along with countless others, pretend that same-sex relationships are the same as marriage. A popular culture cavalierly pretends that there is an indeterminate number of genders among human beings, that individuals can actually choose to be any one of those genders, and tries to force the rest of us to participate in the pretense. A mainstream media and leftist politicians who pretended that last year's violent rioting that caused death and destruction in many American cities were really mostly peaceful protests. That, in spite of what our own eyes told us, was not true. Government officials at all levels pretend today that their response to the pandemic has everything to do with science and public health and nothing whatsoever to do with raw power and control. If you believe that, then ask yourself this question. If public health is truly the priority, then why are officials all over the country firing by the thousands nurses and other health professionals who declined to get the shot in the midst of what is still being called a pandemic? Why would you do that? And by the way, just a year ago, these same officials were hailing these same health professionals as heroes for being on the front line fighting the pandemic, and rightfully so. They were heroes and are. And then more to the point for us today. The abortion industry, and make no mistake about it, it is an industry. It is, in fact, both a corrupt business and a truly demonic ideology. And it is, it is the most sacred of the left's sacred cows. This abortion industry continues in the face of all medical evidence to the contrary to pretend that a preborn baby is anything but a human being, except when it comes to negotiating with customers for the sale of that baby's body parts. You may be aware that on September 24th, just a little over a week ago, the U.S. House of Representatives, under the leadership of Catholic Nancy Pelosi, and with the enthusiastic endorsement of Catholic Joe Biden, passed a sweeping abortion bill under the cynically deceptive title Women's Health Protection Act, H.R. 3755. They passed it by a narrow margin of 217 to 207. Once again, notice the pretense, women's health. 
as if killing a baby in the womb is akin to removing a malignant tumor or an infected appendix. This bill, which now is making its way to the Senate, would codify Roe v. Wade permanently into federal law, striking down any and all restrictions on abortion at the state level, including requirements for parental notification in the case of minor girls, and for informed consent. It would allow for abortion for any reason or for no reason during all nine months of gestation, right up to and possibly even beyond the moment of birth. It would repeal the Hyde Amendment, thus forcing all taxpayers, including you and me, to fund abortions. It would eliminate conscience protection for doctors and nurses who, as a matter of religious and moral conviction, choose not to perform or refer for abortions. You should be aware that of the 217 Democrats in the House, 216 voted for the bill, while 207 out of 207 Republicans voted against it. Why am I telling you that? Is this a political sermon? No. This has nothing to do with politics. I'm telling you this because a year ago, in my homily in the lead up to the November election, and in the blowback that I got from that homily, much of the pushback was directed at the fact that I referred to the Democrat Party as the party of death. I said it then, and I'll repeat it again today. And as I mentioned, this bill had the enthusiastic support of both Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi, both of whom pretend to be devout Catholics, while aggressively advancing laws like this one and others that grievously violate some of the church's most important and fundamental moral teachings. It's no secret that Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi are elderly. And so one day, in the not too distant future, each of them, like all of us, will suddenly find themselves standing alone before the judgment seat of Christ to give an accounting of their lives. And so, Mr. Biden, Mrs. Pelosi, what then? What then? At that moment, there will be no more pretending, only the stark, pure, brilliant light of absolute truth as you stand alone before the one who is the truth, the God of the universe. What will you say? What will you tell him? Please, in the name of God and for the sake of your immortal souls, think about this. Take this seriously. How will you explain to Jesus the carnage that you have enabled and encouraged 
while professing to adhere to the faith that has always lovingly but emphatically called you to do otherwise. Twenty-seven hundred years ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words, quote, Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off, for truth has fallen in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Let me read that to you again. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off, for truth has fallen in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Truth has fallen in the public squares, has it not? What we are facing today in our culture, among all the other things that it is, is a crisis of truth. What we're seeing everywhere we look is a blatant denial and disregard of truth and of clear and manifest reality. This is the logical outcome of the relentless bombardment of our society by decades and decades of atheistic secularism and relativism, where every point of view counts, regardless of its foundation in the truth or the lack thereof. Logic and reason and critical thinking have largely been replaced by sentimentality and by noxious ideologies and by the lust for power. One of the most chilling statements ever to emanate from the United States Supreme Court was in the majority opinion in the 1992 case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey, which served to greatly liberalize abortion laws even beyond where Roe v. Wade had taken them 19 years earlier. The statement I'm referring to was part of the majority opinion written by Justice Anthony Kennedy, sadly, another Catholic. Listen carefully to what Kennedy wrote, quote, at the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, and the universe, and of the mystery of life. Let me read it to you again, and let it sink in. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning and the universe, and of the mystery of life. If it's not clear to you what the implications of that assertion were and are, let me tell you that it represents a clear abandonment by the highest court in this land for the objective distinction between good and evil and between what is objectively true and false, and it thus both reinforces and codifies a culture where all opinions, all sentiments, all passions, and all views of what is good and what is true are given equal merit and equal recognition under the law. Again, we live in a culture that has lost its way because it has lost its fundamental sense of what is true. And yet, you and I have been entrusted with the truth, the absolute truth of God's Word and of 2,000 years 
of the authoritative teaching of the church in an, in an age and a culture that increasingly neither recognizes nor values the truth. The great G.K. Chesterton once wrote that if you reject the truth of God, the danger is not that you will believe in nothing, but that you will believe in anything. Look around you. That's what we see happening today. People are willing to believe anything. Against this seemingly overwhelming backdrop of lies and deceit, Jesus' words resound in our collective conscience when he tells us, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Those who live the lie find themselves not free, but rather in a self-imposed bondage from which only the truth can free them. And brothers and sisters, that's where you and I come in. I want to suggest to you this morning that amidst all the frustration, all the weariness, all the anxiety, and maybe even the dispiritedness we may be feeling over our efforts in the cause of life, the single most important commitment that we can and must make is the commitment to stand for the truth, but with one important qualification. We need to stand for the truth while consistently and authentically walking in love. Speaking the truth in love, as St. Paul encourages us in Ephesians 4.15, that's not only a clear biblical admonition, it is also, I believe, a most important goal of the gospel of life. It is, in fact, the defining hallmark of the pro-life movement, speaking the truth in love, regardless of what the other side says about us. Speaking the truth in love is a hallmark of the pro-life movement. As we live out our days in the midst of this toxic culture, our Lord calls us clearly to be salt and light. How do we do that? How do we do that? We do that by, again, speaking the truth in love, by lovingly, humbly, but forthrightly and courageously confronting and resisting every lie every pretense, every self-evidently false and destructive notion promulgated by this culture and replacing it with truth, the truth of the natural law, the truth of the Word of God, and the truth of God's one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We need to be fearless in doing so because there are powerful forces in this culture that are seeking every day to cancel, silence, and destroy us. But we do so with the confidence and the peace of knowing that we are acting under the authority and under the protection of the one who said, in this world you will have tribulation.
but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.